Join me, if you will, in Ephesians chapter number 1. Ephesians 1, verse number 3. I've heard some uh, expressions of concern that uh, I started Ephesians 1, 1 last week, and some folks have been through Ephesians before, and it takes uh, years to do it. It's only six chapters, and we're only studying three verses, or three sentences. Uh, chapter 1 is three sentences long. So, uh, I don't have a plan as to how long this will take, but uh, I've got time. We'll just see what happens. But today we're going into verse number 3. So join me there, would you please? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This is a great verse. We're going to love this study. So let's ask the Lord for uh, his help. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. We have a true treasure in front of us today. And as we look at it, draw our hearts to you. Give us a joy and expression of praise that comes from the inside and works its way to our tongues where we're quick to say how great you are. Thank you for all you've done for us uh, such a, a simple way of saying something that goes beyond words. But we're thankful for your word and the way that you tell us what you have done. And we need that. We will see it today, and we certainly need your help in understanding. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I found in uh, some of my study this past week a very interesting little um, illustration for this passage. And I thought, well, the the writer of the illustration was, was very accurate in the way he said this, and I'm just going to modify it a little bit slightly uh, for us here today. He starts with going to churches like going shopping, that generally uh, you get what you go for, no more, no less. A person will go into a store with $100,000 worth of goods all around him, buy a single item and walk out, that is all he came for. Here we come to the storehouse of God's grace, packed from cellar to ceiling, and some come in and gather up a thing or two and go home. Is that the way we approach it? We come here for a thing or two and go home. Now, if I modified that, I would say going to church is like going to the Enid Christian bookstore. We go there for a thing. Now, if you want to really surprise them, walk in there and say, I'll take one of everything. (laughs) It excites them. Watch their look on their face. It's like, whoo! That's not paid advertisement, by the way. Um, But we, we, we go for a purpose. We have our list, don't we? When we go into the store, maybe you don't, maybe you're like me. I go with the list, and that's a general idea where to start. And then you start shopping. And, and I love it when the cashier always says, well, did you find everything you were looking for? I say, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I just don't know. I, I, it's hard to tell. And so I started going back a little bit with that and having my fun. Uh, usually I'm watching for the brand new bagger. And uh, when I see them starting to bag, you know, first question with them is always, do you want paper or plastic? And I would say, plastic is fine, but would you do that alphabetically? <laughs> the look on their face is just priceless. 
they're trying to figure out how do you do that exactly. Going to church is like shopping. You generally get what you're looking for. You come in for one item. Come in for a few items. We're talking about the blessings of God. You come for one. Come for two. When it's stacked from cellar to ceiling, it says in this pretty little picture. What I'm going to uh, suggest simply this is that there is so much to gather in Ephesians chapter number 1. Fill your basket and your cart. Fill it up. By the way, it's all free. By the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ, He's given to us everything, right? Everything. Are we just going to pick one item and walk away with it? Are we going to enjoy the storehouses? Of God's blessings. That's our challenge here today. We're we're working our way into this passage. And really I I desire to work through Ephesians chapter 1. And to get an understanding of God's investment in you. And he has invested far more than what we've even comprehended. And we're going to try to comprehend more as we go through here. But he has done that uh, for a purpose. And the purpose is so that you may have everything you need to serve him. Now, one of us can walk away from this study saying, I don't have what it takes to serve the Lord. When we understand all that he's invested in us. And so we're trying to get a glimpse of that. And we found that earlier in our statement last week on Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. We talked a little bit about the will of God as we we looked into that passage. And the investment he has made in you is not by mistake. It is not by mistake. It is by His will. And it's important that as He planned all this before you were born, as He secured it all by sending His Son who died on your behalf, and then He seals it by the Holy Spirit, that sounds like He means it, right? The will of God, that you should be blessed and that you should have all these uh, things that you need to serve Him. This was not just an afterthought on His mind. And we need to appreciate that as we start here. This is by the will of God. And if uh, we are to know anything about the will of God, let it at least be this. Alright? Man has a will. We know that too well, right? We set our will and we say, this is what we, we plan to do and such. And how good are we at accomplishing our will? Our percentage may not be very high. There's a lot of circumstances that work their way in and and sometimes we just uh, understand that, you know, this is what I want to do but I'm not able to bring it to pass. But understand this about God's will. He is able to bring it to pass. Matter of fact, He does bring it to pass and He has not failed a single time and never will. He's got 100% next to His will. You know that? 100%. And that's always the case with Him. So when we talk about his will and what he's doing in you, don't think of it as, well, maybe this might happen. This is God's will, and it will happen. And that's what fascinates me about it. Also note that uh, when God has, has constructed his will concerning you, he wove it with his pleasure 
and his delight. And that's important too to Mark in our thinking. This is not some sort of rigid, hard thing that, that's just uh, uh, whether you like it or not kind of will. This is one that he has looked upon you with his favor, with his kindness with his love, with his delight. It's all in this passage, and I challenged you to read it last week. Hopefully you did. You marked through the number of times it talked about his purpose and his will and all these other things. And if you noticed, verse number 5, it says he's done this according to the kind intention of his will. And it says it again in verse number 9. He talks about his kind intention, which he purposed. It's in kindness. It's in love. It's in His favor that He has done these things for you. Uh, think of it this way. God loves you very deeply. His investment in you proves it. This is what we're looking at here, and it's a, a picture of His love. So, we take up sentence number two today. Now, sentence number two, technically in the Greek, starts in verse 3 and goes all the way through verse number 14. Now, you're looking at your text saying, in English, I've got periods. I see a period there, and I see a period there, and you can mark through the periods. Uh, they don't correspond to the Greek sentence. The Greek sentence does not have periods between verse 3 and verse 14. No stopping. Paul, he, I think he ran out of breath at some point. Just trying to write all this down. He was so ex excited about heaping up all these thoughts and, and uh, constructing it as it was. Uh, these scholars have tried for years to e extract every nugget they can out of this. They haven't done it. That's why we still go at this passage. Because there's still so much yet to glean from this passage. One uh, writer Years ago, a pastor back in the 1800s, Alexander McLaren was his name. Here's his little comment on this, this start of the sentence. He says, it's very characteristic of Paul's spontaneous fervor and exuberant faith that he begins this letter with a doxology and plunges at once into the very heart of his theme. Colder natures reach such heights by slow degrees. He gains them by a bound, or rather, he dwells there always. Put a pen in his hand and it's like tapping a blast furnace. And out rushes a fiery stream of white heat. But there's a great deal more than the fervor in the words. In the rush of his thoughts, there's depth and method. We come slowly after and try by analyzing and meditating to recover some of the fervor and the fire of such utterances as this. Notice his first words in verse 3. Blessed be God! Now, you can't say that in a dry way, can you? Blessed be God. And, and express your heart, can you? Blessed be God. If he wrote it in the way he was thinking, he probably broke his pen and had to get a new one. Blessed be God. How do you say that? The, this expression, blessed be God. The, the universe has been singing this song since its creation. Right? Angels, at the very beginning, started to shout for joy. Blessed be God. And, and we are so privileged to join in that little concert. Blessed be God. But here's what's interesting to me. And just first note, as we look at this passage. We bless God. We bless God. 
Blessed be God. Who's saying that? Who should be saying that? Us? What? <laughs> this, this is this is not just Paul, is it? Is is Paul the only one who knows how to say these words? Blessed be God. Often we will go as a family down to Florida to see my father. He lives on the Gulf Coast, way down there. And uh, one of the things we enjoy doing is going over to the beach for the day. It's only about a mile and a half from the beach. Nice location. Um, the goal is always pick up shells. Right? You've been there before. You probably know. Uh, the shells are everywhere along that beach. And so we take our, our plastic bags that we've gotten from the store, and we go in there, and we start to pick up shells. And it's not long before they're full. And my vans have known that well. Just load them all up in the back, and it smells like the sea for quite a while. Uh, but bags and bags and bags and bags of shells. And yet, if we walked away from there with all this in our bags and looked back, we hadn't even touched what was on that beach. The number of shells is amazing to see. Now, we can walk here this morning through this passage and talk, blessed be God, and start mentioning the things that we praise Him for, and it will be just like that. We may end up with bags and bags and bags of the things He's worthy of praise, and yet when we look back, that's what we're finding. So much more yet to be done in praising Him. So much more. We hardly even scratch the surface. Here we are as human beings blessing God. Think of that. How incredible is that? When you perceive who He is, how can we bless God? Can you add anything to Him that He doesn't already possess? One thing? You know, we talk sometimes about the person who's impossible to shop for, right? I just can't think of a thing to buy that person. Try thinking of what can you give to God? He possesses it all. Praise belongs to Him. We have that phrase in Scripture. Praise belongs to Him. The, the angels praise Him constantly. Jesus had said, and I know this was a different context, but understand the same principle. Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Right? Does God own praise? Does it belong to Him? Render unto the things that are God's. Now, what Paul is doing actually here in this verse is somewhat backwards in the actual actions of verse number 3, because he starts with us, we praising God, we blessing God, but really it's in response for what he's already done. You see it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. That's already done. We're not starting the process here. When we say we bless God, God doesn't need primed to get started. That was always in my home growing up. The sign of spring wasn't the robin showing up or, or anything like that. It was the day my dad took the 22 down to the pump down by the garage and shot right down that pipe to break off all the corrosion at the end of the pipe. He was starting the well. 
And so we always thought, hey, that's the sign of spring to see Dad take the gun down there, boom, shoot right down the pipe, and it, then he primed the pump and it was ready to go. That's spring. All right, that's the way I grew up anyway. But uh, God doesn't need some kickstart to get going. Like we have to bless him so he can respond to us. The verse is entirely backwards in that sense that we are responding to him. We are blessing him because he has already blessed us. Now again, if you did your homework on this little passage, you would have walked through here and found out all the actions, and then you would have put it in categories of who did what. Who was the one doing the actions, and who was the one receiving the actions. And what might you have noticed? Who is the one doing the actions? God is. Every single verse, it speaks of what God has done. And the recipient, who is that? us. We receive, we receive, we receive, we receive, we receive. He gives, he gives, he gives. He is the author of this blessing that we're speaking of here. He is the one who's done it. We bless him, but it's only in response to what he has already done. Uh, matter of fact, let's look at the word just for a minute here. The word bless is kind of interesting in that uh, it's used three times in this one sentence. It's used once as an adjective, it's once as a participle, and once as a noun, if you like that kind of grammatical information. But blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Three times, same word, but in a different uh, grammatical form, sometimes as a verb, sometimes as a noun. The verb is, uh, you, well, I'm not even going to pronounce it. It's a good word, all right? It's good, and it's word. These two words stuck together, right? Good word, good word, good words. We use it for a noun when we say good words. It's our word eulogy in the English, all right? We use it as eulogy. Now, you would like a eulogy to sound good, right? You hope that a eulogy would express good words. That's the nature of the word bless. It is actually speaking well of something. Isn't that what bless is? Bless be God. What are we doing? We're speaking well of him. We're praising him as some might use it. It could even mean to thank somebody in that sense, uh, to invoke a benediction upon them, to bless them, to even cause them to prosper. Now that's an interesting phrase, but when we say God has blessed us, don't we reference some sort of prosperity that he's provided for us? He's given us a blessing, you know, in this sense or another sense. But here's the thing that, that kind of stands out. We are blessing God. We are saying good things of Him, right? That's what the word means. To say good things to Him. To speak well of Him. It's all in response to the fact that He has blessed us. Now, let me take you down the road just for a minute with some of my favorite psalms. I, I love these psalms. Um, how do we do this? Well, for example, in Psalm 107, the first two verses go this way. Psalm 100, 107, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His loving kindness is everlasting. Notice they added two things already. 
Why do we praise Him? Why do we say, oh, give thanks to the Lord? He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And then the next phrase, verse 2, is one of my favorite all-time phrases. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We're not to be quiet about Him being good, are we? His loving kindness? Do we keep quiet about that? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I can picture the man even shouting it out as he was writing the words on the page. Psalm 103. Let's, let's go over there together. I love this psalm and you've got to see it. Psalm 103. In case you're trying to figure out, well, where do I begin? This is a good place to begin. If you're going to praise the Lord, bless His name, this is where it goes. Psalm 103. David wrote this psalm. Start in verse number 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. Then he starts the list. Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle, Who did all this? God does. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Are you thankful for that? Woo, yes. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He says, he, he will not always strive with us. He will not keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as, as He removed our transgressions from us, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. The wind has passed over it, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant, Remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established its throne on the heavens. In his sovereignty he rules over all. And then he starts to say, Now, knowing all this of the Lord, bless the Lord you as angels, you who are mighty in strength, who perform his word, who obey the voice of his word. Bless the Lord all your hosts, you who serve him doing his will. And then he gets personal. Bless the Lord all your works of his. In all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. He goes right back to his own self, doesn't he? It's kind of like this. I'm trying to convince you to bless the Lord. And all the while, the convincing needs to work in my own heart. Your own heart. Why must we have to be convinced to do it? Why do we need to be primed to do it? 
Bless the Lord, O my soul. You know, of all the creatures on earth, and all the beings in heaven, it's only us that need to be told to do it. Everything else gives him the right praise all the time. We receive, we receive, we receive, and then we're moved by his mercies and we give. Bless the Lord. Our highest response to his most precious gifts is that we take it. And then, with thankful hearts, the hearts of a, of a grateful recipient, we say, bless the Lord. Here's where you can put this down, and I know you can finish this phrase. In scripture it says, we love because he first loved us, right? That's true, isn't it? Let's, let's play with some words a little bit, and just change the phrase. We bless God because He first blessed us. That's chapter 1, verse 3. He blessed us. He blessed us. And that's really the part that overwhelms me. Because look at it this way. When we take the definition of the word bless, we say good things of Him, right? Now, if we carry that word as its definition, merely down to the next phrase, what has he done for us? It says that he has blessed us, right? Can you imagine this? And just, just put it in its definition alone. God saying good things of you and me. God saying good things. Of you and me? Oh, I know. I, I've studied through the commentaries and there's a lot of emphasis on the words are God's. We say words to God, but what He's done for us is in deeds, in things we have received from Him. And the list is, is huge of what we have received. But if we just think of it as God's words of His opinion of us, I feel very small. When I think of God looking down and saying good things of me. I see myself in the mirror. And when I read of how he blesses us, how he blesses me, all that's in that word bless, and we aim it right up at him, don't we? And we say, Praise the Lord! Bless the Lord! We, we, we talk of His strength, we talk of His might, we talk of His wisdom, we talk of His love, His compassion, His grace, His forgiveness. We pile all that up and, and just praise Him for it. And He takes that and He aims it right at us. He blesses us with it. Isn't that astounding? That the, the, the God who deserves all the praise considers you and me? And that He loves us? And he blesses us? That's astounding to me when I try to think that through. I, I know it, it, it's a, a matter of, of joy. I'm glad he does it. It's a matter of, of, of a gratefulness in my heart. But also that I should be the object of his favor. That you should be the object of his favor. That he should, according to his sovereign love, look down upon us and bless us. Amazing! Amazing! But it says it, doesn't it? You can't blot it out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. You see it? He 
has blessed us by his good pleasure. His, his, he directs his will and his praise toward us. He directs that toward us. I'm going to read you something I wrote the other day. I don't know what I was uh, thinking, actually, when I wrote it, because it was so complicated. I, I'm not even sure I could read it right. The best that can be said of God in blessing him is the same as the best that can be said and has been said in the best of everything to us. You see, when I wrote that, I'm thinking, what is that? Who wrote that? What we offer to him in blessing him is the exact same word that he's turned on us. I don't know if we could comprehend it. We give him praise for all these things and speak well of him and he speaks well of us. The best that we can say of him, he has turned and given to us the very best that can be said, right? You're not convinced yet? Let me emphasize it another way. James wrote it this way. Every good thing given, every perfect gift, is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, shifting shadow, in the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. That's what He's done. Every perfect gift. There's There's been times, and maybe it's still going on, I don't know, but there were times in the history of our land, when a doctrine was being taught about a second blessing. People were out looking for the second blessing. They thought they needed a second blessing. Uh, Christian perfection was one way they defined it. Uh, Perfect love. They were looking for it. Uh, They were looking for heart purity. They were looking for, as it came out to be, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were looking for the fullness of the blessing, or Christian holiness. There's a lot of different terms that they kind of threw in there. But they were looking for a second blessing, as if they didn't have it. As if God's blessing in the first wasn't enough. They needed a second one. Now, to what degree has God blessed you? Halfway? Did he give you half a blessing and then say, now you need to petition me for the second half? Read this verse. Verse 3. And we're going to stop at one word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every. What does that mean? Every. All. Pos in the Greek. means the whole. What are you missing? What are you lacking? What do you need to petition him for? He only gave you half, right? Is that what that verse just said? He has given us half the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. No. Every, every blessing, are you convinced? Every spiritual blessing, no gaps in the gift, Completely rounded, complete, perfect in every way. Everything a man requires, do you believe it? Everything 
whatever we can think, whatever we desire, it's all compacted, it's all completed in the concept of His blessing. It has been given to us, and when He gives it, He gives it amply, doesn't He? What are we missing? What are we missing? Nothing. You see it? We are missing nothing. Peter said it this way in his writing, First, Second Peter 1, verse 2 and 3. He said, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of, the, of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. He's granted that to us through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. He's held nothing back from you. Now, we've talked about praising and saying good things of God. And we, in our human way, we give some back to Him in praising Him. We give some back to Him in our speaking good of Him. But what does He do when He comes toward us? He gives all, doesn't He? Every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. You know, I like that. Because he's not basing it on my merit. <laughs> I don't come up to praising him like he deserves. What if I did? What if he measured it that way? If I give him 10% praise today, guess what? He's going to give me in a blessing. Would you like that system? He gives you 10%? What if you don't praise him at all today? Would you like that system? He gives you nothing? Do you like this one better? We don't lack. We don't lack. Now, the whole point of my study here with you is this, that God has invested in you, and now you know the degree, everything, in order that we may have all we need to serve Him. What are you lacking? What are you lacking? This verse says nothing. We have everything, with every spiritual blessing everything. And we can go through lists here because commentaries love lists. They talk about the origin and the founding of the church by God. We talk about its actual birth and its existence by the merit of Christ. We talk about the transformation of the church and, the, and its purpose and its placing in the body by the Holy Spirit. And all this, we, we understand this, and it's a simple concept that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are involved in this. Everything the Father can bestow, everything the Son can provide, everything the Spirit can apply is in the phrase, every spiritual blessing is from Him. They are all providing in strength, in wisdom, in provision, in placing, in redeeming. All of it is the work of God. Blessed be God who has done this. And then when we get down to this, this prayer. This is what prompted the whole study. Verse number seven, eighteen. Paul is writing in Ephesians 1, verse 18. I pray, he says, I pray, he's writing to his readers, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing power, or surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, 
which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not in this, only in this age, but also in the ages to come. He's put all things in subjection under his feet. He gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now that's alarming when you stop and look at it. All the power of God, his strength, his power, his wisdom, and the phrase talks of the working of his might, the strength of his might, all of this, where is it? Where is it? It's in us. Does that scare you to death just to think of it? We've got to have warning signs on our shirts from now on. God's at work here. We cone off things to keep people out so they don't get hurt. We put signs up and say, don't touch this, it might hurt you. God's at work in you. The power of God. I just can't even comprehend it all. But it's fascinating to see it. This is Paul's prayer in light of the fact that God has given to us everything. In the heavenly places in Christ, we have all of it. We can study that and we don't have a lot of time. But he mentions it four times in this passage. And I'm only going to bring up one. But it's in chapter number 6, in verse number 12. The heavenly places are referenced in, in what we have, our blessings there and all that. But it also says in verse 12 of chapter 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in where? In the heavenly places. You know, it must be a very significant blessing the Lord has given to us in heavenly places if Satan's going to attack that spot. It must be a very significant thing he wants to separate our attention from. Matter of fact, one of his favorite things to do is to convince you that God does not care, right? To convince you that God is not concerned about you. God does not love you. God is not paying attention to you. Oh me, oh my. That's his favorite attack. Because when we stop and reflect on the blessings of God, our praise goes to him. And he attacks us in that very locale. That's his attack. To separate our thinking. Now, here's the beauty of it, folks. He can't ever separate you from the love of God. He can never separate you from these blessings that God has already given to you. They are as secure as God's word is secure. But he could sure get your attention off of it, can't he? He can make you think all day long that God doesn't love you. Nothing separates you from God's love. But in your mind you think, oh boy, he doesn't care. Oh boy, did I do this wrong, and he's just not thrilled with me today. You've, you've been there? Scripture tells us something about God's love. Tells us something about his blessings. He has blessed you. Understand? He has blessed you. It is not provisional. It's not conditional. It's not based on what you've started him in praising you, him. It's not, it's not a response on his part. It's his will. It's his sovereign choice. It's his loving intention. He has blessed you with everything. Right? Thank you, Phil. We know that, don't we? Huh. 
Let me ask you this, just as I, I start to wrap up some thoughts here. This epistle, Ephesians, do you know where it was written? Paul was in prison at the time. Paul was writing this from a prison. As he's writing it, does he act like he's bound up, like he's limited in service, like he can't do a thing? Does it sound like that? Does it sound like Paul's discouraged? Do you think Paul is sitting there saying, well, you know, I've done all this service for God, and here's my reward, I'm suffering for it. This inconvenience, this humiliation of prison, the reputation I'm going to have now with the common thief and the murderer, because I'm bound up here. Does Paul write as if he's limited? Not at all. Not at all. We have our blessings in Christ Jesus. Not from this world. Not from circumstances, but from Christ. Doesn't it say so? We have it all in Christ Jesus. And he's the head of the body. And apart from him, we have nothing. So he's vital to our ministries. I'm just amazed with this passage. But I, I bring you to this place again. Because I know our tendency is to walk around like sheep. We're supposed to be sheep, right? But what do we do? We keep our eyes down on the ground all the time looking for our next meal. We walk around, we're just looking down, looking down, looking down, and that's all we seem to ever see. How about if we look up where our shepherd is? Turn our attention to where he sits. He sits at the right hand of the throne in the heavenlies, right? That's where we find him. That's where his investment is for us. That's the blessing God has made. This is all you need to serve him. He's called our attention to it today. It's just a simple phrase. So, you've come to church today. One item taking home with you today? You come just for one little thing to go home with? When you can fill your carts? And it's all free. It's the blessings of God. How do you leave from this and how do you serve the rest of the week? What are you going to do in light of the God who has blessed you? I pray it's challenged your heart. It challenges me. I have to study this all week long before I bring it to you. And it's like, wow, I can't wait to share this with you. Come over on Tuesday and I'll start with the next verse. All right? It's just exciting like that. But I, I, I trust as we read through this and study it, we come to know our God better. Come to know Him better. Heavenly Father, you know every person in this room, it's obvious. There's nothing outside of your view. And as your children, we have everything in you. I don't know if we we comprehend it fully, Lord, and I don't know if I could express it well. It's a hard thing to express. And yet it is true. Your word says so. It's amazing, Lord, how you can say in such short words what we try for hours to comprehend. But today, Lord, we just stand at your feet in awe of what you have done. That you would look at us with any sort of favor at all, with kind intention, with love, with grace, with mercy, and you would bestow upon us everything, everything that we need for life and godliness, everything we need to serve you. That you would do that for us is astounding. And we stand in your presence and we say, Praise be to your name. Blessed be God. I hope it's something sincere from our hearts. 
And I hope it's, a, it's more than just words, but it's also the attitudes and the actions that we will serve you with this week. Don't let us easily forget this passage, Lord. Impress it upon our hearts. Write it upon our hearts that we may not forget. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.